Thank you for pressing start on episode 41 of Underplayed, KZUM's indie video game podcast. Today we have two secret games, followed by a review of our featured game, Limbo. Here on Underplayed, we review indie games of all kinds, the games with small budgets but big hearts, the lesser-known experiences with imaginative ideas. I'm Bo Poe, and joining me is my player two, playing games he wants to review. He's the Indiepedia with physical media. I'm talking about the start pressing, secret game guessing, holding your controller, Disco Cola. What is going on? I've got a little bit of a splitting headache. There's been some saw blades in the neighborhood going at all hours of the day, but uh, yeah, doing fine now. How are you, the, Bopo? The, the brain worms can do that to you, yeah, too. Yeah, I'm doing just fine, but would you please turn around and look at me just once? Those are references to our featured game, Limbo. And uh, we are recording in the dark, Disco Cola. Yeah! We are, this room we record in, it's got a lamp in the corner. We usually turn on the lights overhead, but because Limbo's such a dark game, we decided let's turn on the lamp in the corner. Let's get a little moody. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's deprive our visual senses a little bit. And this is going to be really fun. So we're, we're doing it in the dark <laughs> today. <laughs> you and me recording in the dark. <laughs> Is that a song? That's You don't know that song? I don't think I do. How did you grow up where we grew up and you don't know that song? Maybe I do know it. It's you, just your rendition is, you got lucky. is not very good. Oh! Maybe that's... <laughs> wow. Sorry, a little spicy. Sorry wow. about that. No, I'm sure it was very accurate. All right, um, well. That's all. I joke. I joke. Um, but yes, I'm very excited to talk about Limbo because this is a game that's been part of both of our lives for a very long time and... Unless I'm misremembering, I think you and I uh, were in the same room playing this game like 12 years ago. I wouldn't be surprised. When it came out. Yeah. Um, we have a mutual friend that I think we played this game with. And so we'll talk a little bit maybe more about our history with it when we get to our review later, right? Yeah. But before we do that, we're going to have uh, our top of show and we'll have secret games. And here at the top, I want to talk about something that you and I have contemplated bringing up on the show and it's never really felt like momentous enough until maybe now and this is going to be again like every intro segment it's going to be a little outdated um but i want to talk about social media <laughs> oh my favorite topic <laughs> your favorite topic our, our all of our favorite topic and uh basically we talk about being on Twitter a lot. We talk about how, you know, I'm at Bopo on Twitter. You're at Disco Cola on Twitter. And that's still where we're most active in general. Right. And it's at Underplayed Pod for the podcast on Twitter. But um, as we sit down, it's been a few weeks now, but Twitter has become known as X. And uh, we also, in the wake of like a bunch of things happening at Twitter slash X, we've seen uh, Instagram slash Meta's response to X in the form of threads. And so this is just kind of a section where I wanted to talk about our reaction to <laughs> these changes, um, how we have a couple new accounts people can follow, and how we maybe like treat each account. Like how do we see ourselves interacting with each one? And so I was just wondering if you had thoughts about X slash uh, the new accounts that we've created. 
Well, I mean, I have plenty of thoughts, but uh, we don't need to get into that. Unfortunately for me, uh, we we've talked about being the the flip phone boy, and how um, that's just that's just where I am, and that's not going to change if I can help it. Right. But that does make some of these newer platforms a lot more difficult to use. I am now able to with. Uh, browser developer tools like get into our Instagram that we have, but that's just not possible with Threads. Threads is like an app only, so anything that's posted on Threads, I have to like bother Bopo and just like send him stuff at two twenty in the morning. I'm like, hey Bopo, I I got I'm ready for this post for tomorrow. Right. Can you take care of that for me? I'm yeah. so sorry to bother you. Sure, which does it doesn't bother me. Like you can go ahead and ask me those things i'm happy to help out where i can but uh so that's where i am with a lot of this stuff but just trying to make sure trying to make sure we meet all of you where you are is really important to us yeah I think. and a big reason i wanted to talk about this is you've got twitter which became x you've got threads which is very similar instagram you need an instagram to have a threads and so like how do you reconcile all those what information do you share on each one? How do we personally use them? And then how does Underplayed's accounts, how do those interact with our personal accounts? It's You you have to come up with all these rules now uh, about how you want to behave on each one. I also have a lot of personal thoughts about X. I'm very much annoyed with a lot of things going on on the platform, <laughs> um, which could, again, be its own yeah. like podcast episode if yeah. we wanted to. But we're not going to get all fired up about that necessarily. But Basically, what I want to keep doing is use Twitter slash X <laughs> as um, we've been using it, which is announcing new episodes uh, with a graphic. And then we'll keep doing that on Instagram as well. Uh, and then we will, since Threads is kind of, you know, similar to the general idea of what X is, at least in my mind, I think we could just do the same posts on Threads mm-hmm. uh, that we do on Twitter slash X. And so if you prefer one over the other, you can follow us in both places. We'll generally post the same things. On Instagram, though, since that is more of a visual platform, it would be a good platform to post some moments from games we play. And so I've been on there posting screenshots and videos. You've done that a little bit as well as at this best point. I can, yeah. And uh, so if you want to get a little bit more of a visual idea of some of the games we've played or you want to see what we liked moment wise from games, you can catch some of those things that are exclusively on Instagram. And our handle there is at underplayed pod. I think that's our handle pretty much everywhere except Twitch where we're at underplayed podcast, mm-hmm. right? Mm, I think yeah, so. Yeah. I think that's yep. right. So that's what's going on. Um, you know, if you follow us on one or more places, understand that we're still kind of feeling things out. We might use certain platforms more than others over time. Yeah, it's also like seven platforms at this point. Like that's that's seven different things we have to do for each post potentially. So Yeah. It gets a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um but uh you know it's it's supposed to be fun, not work. And like, <laughs> you know, making a post, it can become work, but uh we'll try to find that balance there. And then also on this topic, something a little more positive is recently on X, we've had a lot of great interactions with developers because this is still a platform lots of people use. It's just what everybody's already used to using for years. 
And so we've had great interactions with folks from SFB Games who developed Tangle Tower. Um, we've had some awesome back and forth uh, tweets or posts, I guess they're called now, with Mooch, who was the audio designer and composer for Nuts, one of my secret games earlier this season, as well as Logan Hayes, who was the audio designer and composer for The Pedestrian. And so I just want to give a shout out to these developers listening to our episodes. There might be more as the season goes on. And uh, we just really appreciate that we can tag these people and talk to them. And I'm inspired by some of the ideas they share on on social media. And then when they reach out to us, it means a lot. Mm-hmm. So huge shout out to those people for listening to our reviews and then sharing our podcast yeah, episodes. Yeah, we've, we've had a couple even more just like retweets of the episode posts, and those are really cool too. So yeah. we appreciate that. And also, I might just keep calling it Twitter. You know, <laughs> If you use it on browser like I do, most of the like – icons still say tweet and the URL yeah. in the corner still says Twitter. It's it's going to take, I mean, if they really stick with X, it's going to take a long time to disentangle that nomenclature from just the internet. Yeah. And also like Twitter is so much easier to remember and say, it's just more fun to say, you know, yeah. I, so I might just keep saying Twitter. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. I, that's what I will do at least in private anyway. But yeah. But uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say about social media. Any other stray thoughts about We have a Facebook that gets some of the same posts too, but sure. uh, we we know where Facebook is in most people's minds. So. <laughs> right. Facebook is we've actually seen some feedback about the show from like one or two people only on Facebook. So yeah. like we don't advertise that as much, but yeah, we're on Facebook if you want to find the underplayed podcast. Um, so yeah, good call out there. And uh, hey, if you're enjoying Underplayed right now, please consider giving us a follow and five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Uh, It just takes a few seconds and it goes a long way in showing your support of the show. And with that, we will move on to Secret Games. The Secret Games games that you're playing. Secret Games, we each reveal a game we've been playing in secret, and then we review it. We can pick any game to play on our own time, as long as it's one we haven't reviewed before. Uh, and I don't know what Disco Cole is about to talk about. He doesn't know what I have been playing the last few weeks. So this is really exciting. It is a novelty sort of reveal just for each other in this moment. Disco Cola, we will start with you. Let the mystery be no more. Reveal your secret game for episode 41 of Underplayed. All right. My secret game this episode comes from Unfold Games, and it is called Dark, spelled with a Q in all capitals. Yeah, I uh, I definitely recognize this because I think you have talked to me about Dark before. I, I think might you've have, sent yeah. me store pages to this game, and um, I have never played it. Okay, well, I will talk a little bit more about Dark while you watch that trailer I just sent you. Will do. So this game is another mostly wordless one. So I'm (laughs) going to read the synopsis from the Steam storefront so that I get as much of it right as I can. Dark tells the story of Lloyd, a boy who finds himself in the middle of a lucid nightmare. Unable to wake up, Lloyd has to face his fears and decipher the meaning of the dream. 
end quote. Whoa. And that's a pretty straightforward description and probably the best way to encapsulate everything you see. Um, so you see, once you describe everything as a nightmare, you can just kind of you can kind of just throw whatever the hell you want under the screen. And it's just like, oh, it's a nightmare. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's anything goes. Described away. That sounds like a slight. It's it's not. It it really uh it's done very effectively. But um while I was playing this game, I was popping into other people's streams and mentioning it. And the response I got a lot of the time was, "Oh, this kind of looks like Inside," which I thought was a great sign considering this is the Limbo episode. Um however, I personally had one other visually distinct game on my mind, and when I popped into Grimmer Fade stream, which we were both in, uh, I mentioned it, and he said, I was thinking of the game I was thinking of, which was Little Nightmares. Mm -hmm. And this game reminds me a lot of Little Nightmares. He also mentioned Tim Burton, uh, which is also right. So if you took took Little Nightmares and you put a Tim Burton filter over it, (laughs) visually, you have dark. All of this is to say this is how the game looks visually, I think that creates a pretty clear picture in someone's mind. I'm getting the Tim Burton feel just from this cover photo I'm mm-hmm. seeing online. Yep. Definitely looks like a character from one of the animated Tim Burton films, like the um, stop motion animation yeah, yeah. sort of feel. But then as I look at this trailer you sent, definitely giving me Little Nightmares vibes. Yeah, it's like uh, Corpse Bride, which I haven't seen, but if you took the main character of Corpse Bride and shaved off all his beautiful hair, you've got Lloyd. <laughs> yes. So definitely, definitely. Um, so like Limbo Inside and Little Nightmares, this is a bit of a puzzle game. However, where it departs is in its controls. All of those other games I just mentioned have some sort of like action and platforming elements. In Dark, you cannot jump, and this contributes to one of the greatest puzzle-solving mechanics in the game. Most puzzles in Dark are solved by moving from the floor to the adjacent wall and therefore making the wall the new floor. And you're sort of rotating the room. So by opening and closing doorways and trap doors or by pulling levers to move platforms, you then open up new ground for Lloyd to access, ultimately leading you to the next piece of your puzzle. So let's say you move a platform that's sort of like up and to the left and you you pull a lever and it moves to the right. Now you have all of that surface area to walk across okay. as you walk across walls and ceilings. Sure. So you use a lot of elements like that to open up new ground to walk on. There are other puzzle elements added to give you a variety of challenges as well. So you may be asked to use that wall rotation mechanic to essentially shift gravity and manipulate what are basically like keys falling into certain grooves. So you'll rotate gravity and you need to match the key with a certain symbol into the hole with a certain symbol. And you can only do that by rotating gravity certain directions in, you know, in sequence. Or, you know, you may use that same gravity mechanic to force a simple machine to press a certain number of buttons in a certain sequence. Gotcha. That's a good call out because as I'm seeing this trailer, some of that um, gravity stuff or rotating stuff is happening, but I'm not seeing a lot of the effects of that on the environment around you. Yeah. Most of the time it is just for finding new ground to walk on, but you will be asked to solve small one room puzzles 
uh, using that gravity stuff. There's a special lever that will move you forward into the foreground or backward into the background, um, or in some cases, rotate a room on the Z axis. Mm -hmm. And again, this will allow Lloyd to get around certain obstacles that are maybe on one plane that don't exist on another. In one particular unique and memorable level, there is a crossroads inside of a city setting. And in the center of the intersection is a mechanism that rotates the entire level on the y-axis. So if you think of this level as having an east, west, and north, south, this rotation gives each section two separate perspectives. (laughs) Um, So let's say you start the level and you're going east to west. Yeah. So this is one perspective of both the east fourth and one perspective of the west fourth. But if you rotate the level 180 degrees and you put west on the left side of the screen, you now have that second perspective of the west fourth and a second perspective of the east fourth. So you, are you kind of following a little bit. what I'm saying? I think it would make a lot more sense if I was actually looking at that. Yeah. Because I don't know if what you are saying is in this trailer. It, it is a little bit, but you don't get to like see the effect of it fully. Is it where he's jumping up onto that thing and you see the world sort of rotating yes. as you're hanging there? That yes. makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. So you'll have to maybe go with the world rotated one way and interact with some background elements. But as you once you rotate the world, you can't interact with those elements That makes anymore. sense. Yeah, so. yeah. I've played other games like that. I can't um, name any, but I know what you're talking about. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yep. good. Uh, This game is a nightmare, so there are some monsters in the game as well. Really cool ones, in my opinion. Um, But mechanically speaking, these monsters are here to sort of force you into some stealth sections. Um, So there's a bit of stealth in this game, a bit of stopping and starting, a bit of waiting. Um, And additionally, while I was pretty much holding down the run button the whole time, there is a creep button as well, and I only really recall using this once or twice in conjunction with a couple of these monsters. Uh, the game does balance that stopping and waiting, where in some puzzles you are on a timer, and so you sort of have to map out all of your unique movement mechanics as best you can uh, before hitting your little timer button and racing to the end of a puzzle. Uh, lastly, there are certain items that you can pick up and add to your inventory in order to place them somewhere else and ultimately solve your puzzles. And that's pretty much what makes up Dark. The game is broken up into six or seven smaller themed nightmares. Uh, The themes include like hospital, subway, theater, city, etc. And at the end of the smaller nightmare, you return to your body. And then after the main game, there are two longer sections called uh, the Tower and the Crypt that sort of add a bit of an epilogue to the game, sort Mm of. Um, So here's the part of the chat where I move on to things that I like and dislike about Dark. Things that I like. The opening level is a level where you have to locate gears and add them to machines Uh, that will ultimately open up pathways to the next section of the level, which will also clearly contain more gears. Very near the beginning of the level, you see a machine that requires several of these gears, and it's easily assumed to be the final piece of the puzzle. I love that they showed me my goal so early in this level. That's such a great piece of level design, in my opinion. Here's where you need to go. Find the pieces. But not only that... 
the gear machines have a design that immediately screams, I do something important. And it's so obvious that Mm. you need to interact with these to progress. There are examples throughout the entire game of great design like that that draw the eye and make it very clear how you need to interact with each puzzle section. But this is just one example and and maybe one of the best examples. I wonder if I played this, if that aspect of the game would keep me motivated to play for longer. Because sometimes if you don't really have a sense of where you're going, I am unsure about when I should stop or, you know, yeah. I start losing that energy a little bit. Yeah. And, and man, there's, there's more that this game does to, to get that motivation going. Cool. So, um, another thing I like the overall aesthetic is really appealing. I mentioned the comparisons earlier, but it's so surprising to me how few games have actually really managed to completely capture this really popular visual aesthetic. Like people love Tim Burton a lot and i just i should be able to think of more games that have done this essentially the music is pretty solid to be honest i didn't really notice it much while i was playing it obviously as the host of a video game music radio show i always uh give a thought to how i felt about the music when i sit down to write my notes and i couldn't figure out why i didn't remember any of dark's music and so i pulled up the full soundtrack which is pretty short, and that's when I realized why I wasn't noticing the music. It's because you're not supposed to. When I took film Mm. scoring in college, one of the more profound things that I learned in that class is that the score is meant to support what you're seeing and generally be unnoticed on its own, and that's what makes Mm. a good film score. Yeah, it's like editing, too, like film editing. Right. You know, like good editing doesn't announce itself always. Yeah. Now, games are not necessarily films but this has so much of a cinematic aesthetic that it makes so much sense to me that the score was composed to support instead of take center stage and that's not even to say that the music doesn't play well on the radio because it does but it never does take that center stage it's less like a christopher larkin hollow knight and more like an orchestral music score Mm. just great film score um i really like the difficulty of dark it's not necessarily immediately obvious how to accomplish a puzzle but i'm also not spending an hour on one puzzle like i do in the latter part of something like machinarium Um, this game is very approachable probably going to be too easy for people that main puzzle games Hmm. um, but bound to be an appropriate challenge for those that only occasionally play puzzle games cool and like people who I, I would say I like puzzle games more than the average person. I would there say are that times too. where I want a relaxing puzzler. Yeah. I don't want to be like, you know, <laughs> eight out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 difficulty challenged with every game I play. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Um, in addition to that, I really like that if you're a completionist like me, you will see very clear signs of hidden paths. But at the same time, because of how it's designed, you learn very quickly that everything you absolutely need is on the beaten path. So I was very quickly able to infer that certain trapdoors and such were for something optional, something extra. This prevented me from wasting too much time on trying to access something that was very obviously accessible, but I just, I didn't have to do it. So that's a nice visual and and design touch. Um, This one will be a great point for you, Bopo, I really love this game's length. Oh. I knew it was short, and I didn't 
necessarily intend to roll credits in one sitting, but I did. Oh, and it hit right in that sweet spot. Oh man! Right before I got to the credits, I was thinking about stopping for the night. You know, it was getting late. I told myself I would just like finish this section and then call it quits. But then suddenly, I'm I'm done with the game. Yeah, I'm on howlongtobeat.com. It's saying how long is dark. Main story on average two hours. That's I didn't spend much longer than that. Completionist four so, and a half. Yeah, right on the mark. Me likey, me likey. Um, and then perhaps my favorite thing about Dark is that I'm going to remember it. With one exception, each level really stands out, and that's hard to do in a game that essentially only has three colors. This is a black, white, and gray game, but each one has just the right amount of visual flair to be distinct from the rest, but more importantly, takes one or two puzzle elements or moving pieces or something to cement the identity of that specific level. I talked about the city level with the crossroads. I bought the whole stupid game because I was so (laughs) impressed by that as a puzzle mechanic. And the game never repeats that concept one for one again. You talk to someone else that's probably played Dark and you mention the city level and they're like, oh yeah, that's the one that rotated the world on the y-axis. Or you say, oh, the theater. And they're like, oh yeah, that's the one where you jump into different layers of foreground. Each level has a very distinct identity visually, but also in the way you solve the puzzles. Now, maybe that doesn't sound like a huge quantity of likes, but they're all very like significant, if you ask me. But that doesn't mean that I don't have dislikes. I do have a few. First up, and this will only apply to completionists, and that is that the trophy list isn't really super forthcoming with accomplishments. Um, A lot of the trophies in Dark have to do with those optional paths or solving puzzles in a certain amount of time or under certain conditions. Okay. I don't get a lot of pride from trophies that are essentially like progress in the game, but when those trophies don't exist, it sort of disrupts my sense of progression like am i am i actually getting through this game when's my first trophy going to pop like am i doing this right so a few more of those like piddly little simple ones might have helped i'm looking at the trophy list on psn profiles this actually has a pretty high percentage platinum which is nice so like it is attainable for a lot of people but for the time-based ones like complete the tower in under six minutes or complete the crypt in under 12 minutes are those um, missable? Can you redo those? Oh yeah, you can easily? redo. Okay, so it's it's a very attainable like completion, especially with a guide. There's only one that I'm even like worried about on a difficulty level, to be okay. honest. But um, yeah, I just you know I wasn't sure if I was doing the game right because I was <laughs> I got like three trophies at the end of it. Um. Now, I know I had this in the likes section, but one of my dislikes is also the length of the game. I'd finished the game, and I, I felt that surprise sense of accomplishment and that I just wanted a little bit more. Mm. Um, luckily, and I don't know what makes the complete edition the complete edition. Like, is that just the standard edition now? I don't know, but my physical copy is the complete edition, and it does include the longer bonus levels, the crypt and the tower, so with these, I got that more that I was looking for. And while I really loved the crypt at the end of it, I didn't necessarily love the tower quite as much. Um, the tower is definitely iconic in its own way and provided one of the most like visually striking moments of the game. But the main puzzle element it introduced 
while nightmarish didn't quite fit with the more mechanical nature of the other puzzle elements. So it just, it, it felt like a shift in identity um, there and, and, and didn't quite click with me as well. But that's really it as far as dislikes. I'm far more effusive on dark than not. Uh, so in conclusion, I would say that dark is a wonderfully designed spooky puzzle game that masterfully captures a very unique art style seen most often in movies. While not necessarily always my favorite personal kind of movie, I'm in awe of what I'm looking at in nearly every moment. It takes the puzzle genre, which is usually full of games I either love or full of games that I hate, and manages to be one of the only just right kinds of puzzle games. Mm. If Death's Door is my Goldilocks (laughs) action combat game, (laughs) Dark is my Goldilocks puzzle game in terms of length, difficulty, and style. I highly recommend this to anyone looking for a short, stylistic experience, and I especially recommend this to you, Bopo. I think you would really love this game. I have a score that I want to give this game, and other games with this score are on my top 100 games list. I don't totally know if this breaks into that list, Um, but I will certainly remember playing Dark for a very long time. I want to give Dark an 8.5 out of 10. Oh, man. You really sold me on this. I want to play this badly now. I I mean, you've talked to me about it before. I think when you have talked to me about it, you've talked about getting the physical edition. Yeah, that I didn't know much more than that, to be honest. (laughs) Like, I had watched a little bit of gameplay. So this is your first time going through all Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, you sold me on it. Um, this might be a front runner for my jealous game for the season now. I know you have some other great games. I know you're pushing for me to <laughs> this play is, everything. This is but... very much a Bopo game. Yeah. Like there are other games on here Dang. that I still think you should play, but this <sighs> this is a very much a Bopo game. Oh man! Well, you did a great job painting the picture of what this game is because yeah, when you have a game about nightmares, that could be such a mysterious thing that's that's hard to imagine. Um, I'm curious. You know, you're talking about all the sections of this game. They have themes, right? I think you mentioned there's like a hotel, a theater, a hospital. Were those some of the ones? Hotel's not one of them. Hotel's not one of them. But But, um, in all of these areas, in addition to the puzzles that change um, and the perspectives that change, thematically, are you interacting with like theater things a lot in the theater level? Are you interacting with hospital things a lot in the hospital level? Are the levels constantly reminding you of like, oh yeah, I'm, this is where I'm at. Only visually, there aren't too many items that, that you actually like physically touch that are super thematic in that way. The first level is just basically all about gears and you're in some industrial place. I don't know that that level even has a name. I guess in the theater level, you do eventually pick up a mask. Okay. Um, but like when you're on the train, uh, you do kind of turn on maybe a steam furnace for a train. Sure. But really beyond that, you're not doing anything with your hands, with Lloyd's hands that are train-like. It's just a visual depiction of being on a train and and done really well. You mentioned this game is mostly like black, white, and gray. Mm-hmm. I am noticing in the trailer there are very subtle tints of color. There's like subtle neon. There's like subtle blues to like accentuate things and to highlight paths you you should take or doors you should enter through. 
you know, we talked in like the Abzu episode about lights and lines guiding people. And like, this is an example where in a world that's so black and white and gray, just a little color can add something. Yeah. Um, and then I was wondering, since this is like a psychological horror game, were you scared by dark? There, there are jump scares. I wasn't like most of my preferred horror, like chills me to my core, you know, and uh, makes me dread being alive. But uh, this, this is mostly like jump scare kind of thing. Some of those monsters really um, sneak up on you when you're not expecting it. Sweet. And then um, another game this was reminding me of is one of my secret games from a past season, Never Ending Nightmares. Um, so if I had to like make a concoction that would create dark, it might be Never Ending Nightmares and Little Nightmares <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Limbo. You know, it's something, you know, I yeah. mash those all up together, you might get dark. But yeah, Never Ending Nightmares, there are monsters that force you into stealth. Okay. Um, and that is a game about nightmares obviously you can tell from the title so i think i might enjoy this a little bit more than never-ending nightmares yeah i would think so um so i should have mentioned it but the um synergy is obvious here right oh yeah yeah. definitely okay oh yeah and yeah i always like to give the context because you never know when a new listener is jumping on but disco cola loves finding synergy between his secret game and our featured game for that episode. And I definitely see it with dark. Yeah. Like it is, it is very clear cut to me. And um, that's something that disco cola like goes the extra mile on. I like to think that I add variety by just picking something that might swing in a completely different direction from our featured game. But sometimes I do pick something that aligns. And so you never know. I'm kind of the wild card, I guess. And today's secret game from Bopo is teacup. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A painterly, wholesome little sit of a game. Exactly. Um, yeah. You never know what I'll say. But uh, did you say what platforms it's on? I did not. Dark is available on Switch, Windows, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, and I played the Limited Run Games Physical Edition on PS4. Very cool. I think I saw the PS5 version just show up on the PlayStation Store a couple months ago. Ooh, Uh, Newport, maybe? Newport, yeah. It is time for My Secret Game. My Secret Game is called The Sexy Brutale. Have you heard of The Sexy (laughs) Brutale? (laughs) I have not. (laughs) I just sent you a trailer. You can watch that while I go into my thoughts. All right. So The Sexy Brutale is a 2017 time loop mystery game. It was developed by Cavalier Game Studios and Tequila Works. So a little collaboration there, and it was published by Tequila Works. I will read the game synopsis from the Steam storefront. Quote, The Sexy Brutale, a never-ending masked ball featuring intrigue, murder, and the, quite possibly, occult. Relive the same mysterious day where the guests at the casino mansion are being murdered by the staff over and over again. End quote. So The Sexy Brutale is an isometric adventure game set entirely in this mansion with a lot of casino visuals and that mansion is called the sexy brutale. Oh, okay. So that's where we get the name. And other than that, what a name, I don't remember getting a lot of context on that name. I think it's just called the sexy brutale. And (laughs) I, if there was more context than that, I missed it. Um, But there are lots of slot machines in this mansion. There's gambling paraphernalia spread around and it is a pretty big mansion filled with, 
the things that you would imagine in a mansion, like offices and hallways and lots of shelves of books and stained glass. And a pipe organ. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> lots of big items as well, um, ornate decorations and furniture. And there's this man named Lucas, and he's known as the Marquis, and he owns the Sexy Brutel. And Lucas hosts this fancy masked ball, which is served by his staff of workers. And the problem is that the staff members are killing all the guests. <laughs> Small problem. Small, little, Small problem with the party, Lucas. If I might, yeah, if I might mention this Everybody's dead. And uh, all these party guests are killed in different ways over the course of one day. And then the day repeats and everything always happens the same way. The same guests are killed in the same place in the same time. So it is all a mystery as to why this is all happening. And you play as one of the party goers who is this preacher named Lafcadio Boone. And so playing as Boone, uh, you get approached at the beginning of the game by a figure called the Bloody Girl. And the Bloody Girl gives Boone this mask that allows him to sort of become aware of the loop he's stuck in and make different decisions every day. Oh, cool. So this is where agency on the part of the player is changing the outcome in the world around you. She also gives you this pocket watch that allows you to restart the day at will. So if you make mistakes, you have this pocket watch that lets you just restart whenever you want, which is nice. As Boone, you can walk through all the rooms. You can spy through keyholes and doors before entering a room to know what's in there. Uh, you can hide in wardrobes to eavesdrop on people. Uh, you can listen to the environment around you to get a sense of who might be in rooms that are adjacent to you. And your goal is to prevent all of the party guests from dying. And I'm going to reveal what you do to save the first party guests, which serves as the tutorial of the game. It's mm -hmm. a very brief section of the game. You see it in the trailer even. You see like the person getting saved. Um, so I don't think this is a big spoiler, but explaining this will kind of help explain how the game works, in, okay. at least in one instance. So the first guest you save is a man named Sixpence, and he is shot by a gun. And the way you save him is you go through these loops, you have to figure out where the gun comes from, at what time the gun is picked up, and before it's retrieved, you have to take the bullet out of the gun so that the killer comes and gets the gun and they go to Sixpence, they go to shoot him and the gun just clicks, nothing happens. And then Sixpence reacts to this by throwing a candlestick at the guy's head and knocks him out. Nice. So that's how you save Sixpence. Very brief section that you do in the first like 15 minutes of the game. So not a huge spoiler there. And then you talk to Sixpence and he upgrades your pocket watch to allow you to save your game and then also start the loop from multiple different places throughout the mansion. What? And after Sixpence, there are nine more guests to save. And each one is in a different area of the mansion. Each one's giving you a different power when you figure out the puzzle to save them from dying. And most of the powers they give you give you a, an ability to access places you couldn't before. That's okay. like the main common theme. Um, so Sixpence upgrades that watch, lets you save your game. That's very singular. After that, a lot of them are about letting you break certain objects 
or traverse through mirrors to like it's like a teleport <laughs> system. And so it's kind of Metroidvania y. Weird. Um, but I definitely wouldn't call this a Metroidvania, no. but it's that idea if you know you can imagine. But you're also through actions you're taking to find these people and save them, you're learning codes to doors. You're picking up key items that persist between loops. And so there are tons of areas that are blocked off at the start of the game. It's not like you can immediately go anywhere you want. You have to do that natural progression to get key items mm -hmm. and to get codes to elevators and stuff. And uh, if you're ever in a room with someone else and they see you, there's like this ghostly spirit that will pop out of that person and they'll attack Boone and drain his health. And so you have to escape the room to avoid this. And thankfully, these ghostly spirits, they don't really follow you room to room. They just attack you if you're in the same room as them. So you just need to leave the room if someone starts attacking you. But uh, this is why you're peeking into rooms to see what you're stepping into before you just open a door blindly. Oh, So okay. you look through the keyholes. You have like a little field of view that you can move around like you're actually peeking your eye through a keyhole and scanning left <laughs> to right. So that's Visually, you <laughs> explaining that to me in the dark here is very, <laughs> yeah, very appealing. Exactly. <laughs> we could barely like see each other in here. It's really fun. And uh so like story-wise, you're trying to figure out why the guests are being killed and what's really going on to make this loop happen. And more is definitely revealed as time goes on. And each day is 12 p.m. to 12 midnight. So once the clock strikes midnight, the day will just automatically start over again at 12 p.m. that same day. So the only variable that changes is what Boone is doing. This is a lot like 12 minutes including like how long each loop is. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to time out an in-game hour and it seemed like an in-game hour was about 45 seconds in real time. Oh, that's so, quick. <laughs> yes. So each loop is like, I would say nine to 12 minutes long. Okay. You know, so you're not doing these loops for a long time. You're just like learning information slowly in each uh, loop and then adding that all up to the solution you need to save people. And also there are collectibles in this game. You can find a party invitation for each guest that's murdered, and you, you can only pick those up in certain places at certain times. And there are playing cards, 52 of those spread around. And if you find all those, they unlock a secret ending. Ooh. And according to Wikipedia, this game is inspired by movies and games featuring time gimmicks like Groundhog Day and Majora's Mask, which I'm sure isn't a surprise by now after what I've explained. So... Here is what I really liked about The Sexy Brutal. This is a puzzle game with a lot of mystery and intrigue. You do not know why all this stuff is happening. But the controls and what you're supposed to do next are very straightforward and clear. And that's something I'm always kind of worried about with mystery games is like, is it so mysterious that I'm just going to be stuck and not mm. really know what I'm supposed to be doing? And I might not know how to save someone, but I know the first step I should take. It should be looking in this room I haven't been in yet. And then in that room, I might discover an item or I might discover a conversation between people that I need to eavesdrop on. And then from there, that gives me a clue. And then I get another clue. And so um, the game is transparent about what you should be working on. Um, you usually know where to start looking, and I appreciate that. The game mechanics are very uncomplicated. You're walking around. You're observing what time of day certain events take place. You're interacting with objects. Very easy to understand. I get it. I was not missing out on game mechanics. It's very straightforward. The premise 
is fun and I like these mysterious kinds of setups. So I just admire the idea of what this game is. The loops are so short that there isn't a big time investment lost if you make a mistake too. Mm -hmm. There are some games like, you know, Outer Wilds, which I love. <laughs> I love, but those loops are twice as long. You at miss, least. Yeah, you miss one jump. Miss one oh, thing. baby. If you're 19 minutes into a run and you just don't quite discover the thing you were looking for, oh, that's another it's run. frustrating, yeah. And like, is that a ton extra time wasted then and here? No, not really, but it can add up over time. So um, these are like nine to 12 minute loops. Very digestible. And the story has a twist near the end that I did not see coming. It takes a topic that is mundane and it does something really interesting with it. And up until this moment, I had a lot of confusion about what the game was doing and where it was heading. I really didn't understand why these characters were here, why they were doing all of this stuff. Uh, but everything was put into crystal clear focus for me when that twist happened. So it's an example of a twist that doesn't make the story messier. It actually pulls everything into focus. And I like those kinds of twists. Ooh, um, okay. And this, it's kind of a rare kind of twist for me where I don't see that kind of thing a lot. And the game does a great job of explaining just like things without making it ambiguous, basically. And uh, that is what I liked about The Sexy Brutal. And now what I didn't like so much about The Sexy Brutal and Disco Cola, I've been very positive about the game. This is where I have to be a little, unfortunately, like critical of the game because oh, no. there are parts of the Sexy Brutale that made me very unmotivated to play. And first and foremost is just that the game feels very lethargic. Uh, the walking speed is painfully slow. It looks pretty slow. You can see it in that trailer. Boone has no sense of satisfying movement. And this is something we've talked about with with games where you can move around. One of the first ways you can fall in love with a game is how it feels to move and immediately it's just not feeling good to move and it doesn't get better it doesn't get faster he has one speed i couldn't find a way to sprint or walk faster and that kind of thing is sorely needed in the sexy brutal in my opinion there's just no sense of movement and energy going room to room and opening doors and looking through the peepholes is an activity that can feel sluggish, especially when you're transitioning between rooms. And then, you know, because this is a game about saving people, I want to care about these like 10 people I'm saving. And unfortunately, the characters are just uninteresting. They lack energy. They lack verve. All the party guests just sort of blur together for me. They each give me a different power. And I love this idea I can tell they all have a unique identity, but I really can't distinguish them because the game isn't like doing enough to give them moments. Yeah. I think they all look really visually distinct, but that's, that's about the extent of it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And they all have like the party masks that all sort of look different. And those masks are what they're handing to you that give you the power. So that's a really cool idea. But a lot of this has to do with the dialogue, which is, Text only, which can work if enough time is given to make these characters stand out. But I don't think there's enough time invested into these characters to make them people I care about. So 
much of the story ends up being bland and uninteresting to me in the same vein as Mighty Number no. 9. You mm. remember me talking about mm-hmm. that story just like you're just skipping it essentially. Game, yeah, a game like that doesn't need to have a crazy story. But if you throw a story in there, I'm going to try to care about it. But if it's bland and uninteresting, then that's obviously a con for the game. Now, this doesn't change the fact that I liked the twist at the end. The twist helped pull things together and I actually think this game ends quite strong story-wise, but so much of it before that, I'm really not caring about these characters, unfortunately. And so all this just contributed to a general lack of motivation to want to play the sexy brutal. Um, And then another like quibble I have is that the map screen is a little incomprehensible. Looking at it didn't give me a better understanding of this mansion and its layout. I was usually more successful by just peeking my head into new rooms and then trying to remember that that room is connected to these other rooms on Mm -hmm. my own. Mm -hmm. Map wasn't really helping me in this one. So that is all I have to say about likes and dislikes. Overall, The Sexy Brutale has a fun premise, but there's very little momentum to this game. And by the time I get to some satisfying reveals about the story, I've already kind of come to dislike its pacing and some of the dullness It does render this mansion with a lot of imagination, but I also don't care a ton about who I'm saving. So I'm going to give this a 4.5 out of 10. Oh, darn it. And it's playable on PC, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, which is where I played it, and Xbox One. Well, uh, let me take another look here. I, I feel like you explained everything that I need to know about. I guess my question is about sequence is this game like very linear are you do you have to save these people in a particular order because you're talking about being able to unlock obstacles after you save a particular guest so is it it, are you pretty much forced into a linear story here yeah there's a there's a set order from what i can tell i'm not sure you can sequence break this game on your pause screen there is a section where it shows all the guests And they all have like a portrait that's a silhouette. And when you discover the path to start saving someone, that silhouette fills in with their actual picture. And all of those are like chronologically left to right filling in as I'm going through this game. And also they give you those powers that let you unlock doors and break things. And to get to someone, you need someone's like quote unquote key item to get Mm. to that person. And then you need that person's key item to get to the next person. So I think it is very sequenced so that the game doesn't like break unintentionally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, That's not a deal breaker to me. I was just curious about it. Time loop games. What a trip. And then I will say I didn't find this game worthwhile, but I still recommend it to anyone interested in murder mysteries and time loops. You know, I, there are plenty of people online who seem to enjoy this one. So don't let, my low score and my review necessarily deter you. Disco Cola, you might have fun with this. I'm I'm still really in love with this like visual style and like yeah. the character designs. And I like I cared enough about being in this environment to get the platinum and like look for all 52 cards and look for all the party invitations. So I did do everything in this game. I got that secret ending. So um I did give it the attention someone would give it if they want to complete it. So those are our secret games, Dark and the Sexy Brutale. Let's move on to our review of Limbo. It is our featured game. 
is a puzzle platformer first released in 2010. It was developed and published by Playdead. The game synopsis from the Steam storefront reads, quote, uncertain of his sister's fate, a boy enters limbo, end quote. That's it, folks. That's all we get. (laughs) There's not even an About This Game expansion on the Steam page. And that is uh, the vaguest synopsis we've ever read, I think. And this is intentional because the game is meant to be mysterious. It's meant to be vague. I think the intent of the developers to invite players to interpret what the game might mean at the end. But also, this game is very straightforward with its gameplay and its setup. Uh, The game is speechless and textless. There's no tutorial or on-screen instruction of any kind. You are just playing as a boy who wakes up in a forest and he's looking for his sister in a side-scrolling black-and-white world. And you can move, jump, and interact with objects to progress. That's it. So uh, kind of like Abzu from this season, but it looks very different. But it's like Abzu in the way that Abzu is a straightforward experience, and it's a shorter experience. And eventually you make your way to more uh, man-made and industrial environments from that forest place. A lot of the puzzles involve using switches and knocking down objects and jumping at the right moments. And there's this philosophy of trial and death where you're killed by gruesome traps before learning how you're supposed to progress. There are uh, pits with water that can drown you or spikes that can impale you. Uh, There are saw blades, deadly creatures of several kinds, um, electrocuted surfaces, objects that crush you, laser-activated machine guns, and more. And the game has atmospheric sound with very little music. There's a lot of graininess and noise. There's a lot of buzziness Mm. to the soundscape, whether it's flies or (laughs) uh, saw blades, you know. And uh, this is one of the most lauded games we've featured. There are probably too many awards Limbo has both won and been nominated for to mention. But notably, it won Best Independent Game at the 2010 Spike Video Game Awards, which was the precursor to the Game Awards that we watch every December. It got the most nominations of any game at the Game Developers Choice Awards that year. And in the early days of modern indie games, Xbox categorized smaller games into their Xbox Live Arcade service, which I don't know if you and I have ever talked about that, but this is the service that people closely associate with Castle Crashers and Braid and uh, Geometry Wars and Limbo. Limbo's in this group. It's a lot of those early indie games that really helped invigorate this Xbox Live arcade service. And so Limbo is associated with the success of that service in 2010. It was the highest earning game on that service that summer and the third highest title on that service for the entire year of 2010. And 2010 is a year where we're getting a lot of those these early indie game juggernauts. We're getting Limbo. We're getting Amnesia the Dark Descent, which we've reviewed before on this show. We're getting Super Meat Boy that year. You know, so like all of these properties that people like really closely associate with the idea of what an indie game is. So Disco Cola, this is a this is a game that you've known about for a long time. Yeah. It's been part of our lives for many years. In your eyes, what is the significance of Limbo's legacy in the indie game landscape? Like what's the impression 
that has been left behind since then? I think Limbo is one of the most important indie games of all time. Wow. I think it's super important. If not Limbo, then maybe Flower. Those two, if you took like a phylogenic tree of indie (laughs) games, in my mind, everything comes from games like Flower and Limbo. Okay, expound. What came from Limbo? What did we start seeing after that? I never, there was nothing like it before that in my mind. Like the closest thing to an indie game that I can think of even existing before that was like Psychonauts, which was out on like the PS2. But I never, I never played that, you know, and like that's still sort of, is it an indie game? I Sure. Yeah. I think in the early days, maybe, but I think before that, the other big year that early on was 2008, mm-hmm. because that's when like Braid came out and um, a couple others. You saw like a couple of really early ones in 2008. And then if you look at game releases for 2009... 2009, I think, was more of a drought for indie games. And then 2010, you started seeing tons because I think people saw like Braid in 2008 and they thought, oh, we got to make an experience like that size with this size of a team. And so that's where we started getting games like Limbo and again, doing something new that hadn't been done before. Yeah. So it's just, I'd never seen anything like it. It was very clear, like, this is a different kind of game. And this was also like 360 PS3 era where everything, everything was an online multiplayer shooter, pretty much. Like, I'm, it's an exaggeration, but it's either that or an Assassin's Creed, like, Uncharted type game. Like a, a high-budget AAA game Yeah, is what people paid attention to games for. And yeah. then you have Limbo. It, I think it um, started a couple trends, like um, the... Wordless, speechless yeah, idea, dude. Um, the seamless idea where the whole thing is just like chapter after chapter after chapter, but it it's all stitched together. And then also just like the simplicity of it, like just jump, interact, move. That's yeah. all you're doing. It's a, it's like a, a, a 2D game in a 3D world, my friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, games like this, I think Portal 2 maybe did it a little a little bit more work than than Limbo in bringing me out of this like 2D only mindset. I only play like these old games. Portal 2 and Limbo gave me a reason to try something new because I was just not interested in what was happening mm-hmm. in that era. Yeah, and that then like the feeling of the game. The feeling of the game is just it's mysterious, it's ambiguous. It is um, dark and depressing. Yeah. It you might not always be in the mood to play something like that. The children die in this game, and that's a <laughs> yeah. swing that didn't, you know, know. That weren't, wasn't being made. Right. And I remember those early days when this game came out, uh, we played with our mutual friend Grant, I think. Yeah. I think he had us over He's, at his house. He made me play the game, and like, you know. I don't like when people try to make me do things. <laughs> I try very hard to have a bad time when people do that. You're very anti-authority. Yes, but <laughs> I really, I just, I, I loved the game, man. It, it took so many cool puzzle elements. Just that, that moment with the spider and figuring that out, phew, sold after that. Yeah, and it's just a joy to discover with other people because things are so shocking, you know, especially with those deaths and the game wants you to trial and error your way, trial and death your way. Yep. And so that is inherently just very entertaining. And so you've already kind of alluded to how much 
you think this game is important and how much it means to you. Now, can you go into expanded thoughts? What are Disco Cola's thoughts on Limbo? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for our usual approach to just like totally, totally capture how important this game is. So I, I appreciate that we were able to go through all of that. But uh, I can go ahead and jump into some likes and dislikes. Yeah, likes and dislikes. Um, I really like the general art direction. Uh, and honestly, I think it still holds up. Um, though I imagine that there are certain elements that would probably be a little bit more impressive if it had been conceived today. Because if I look at our main character model, it's a little too much like After Effects puppet tool oh, kind of you. thing. I hear you. Yeah. Um, so a little I think, wiggly, yeah. Yeah, I think if it would have been made today, it might have just a little bit more fidelity, even though yeah. fidelity is not the point of the game. Yeah, it's like a definition thing. Like yeah. It kind of looks like a... Yeah, that the puppet tool thing is an accurate description, sure. But I still I I was surprised at how much it it still holds up in my mind. Um I think the puzzles and other challenges really ramp up in an appropriate pace. Your first like really big obstacle is the spider that I mentioned and trying to figure that out um and trial and death your way through that. And then, you know, that sort of sets the difficulty level for a while. And then your next big like difficulty spike is with the neon sign, I guess the I would say. Sign? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the next big like really like jump in difficulty. And it, it goes up from there in increments, but it feels really appropriate and paced really well, I think. I think the set dressing of the world manages to tell a chronological narrative, at least in my mind. So at the start, I again, I'm going to mention the spider. One of the first things you run into is the spider. And, you know, is this a game where we're up against nature, the nature of this world? Is it just like an inherently dangerous world to live in? And then you get a certain bit further and there are other humans. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, are we up against man? Like Chilling when yeah, that happens. Absolutely. And then you get a little bit further and it's just, oh, man, are we up against something grander more existential you know so i think there's like a really cool chronological narrative in just the construction of the world um and you get to experience that and it's really cool we mentioned trial and death there's a bit of like a morbid play factor similar to a game we played way back in episode seven called house <laughs> yeah, um yeah, i'm yeah. always curious about all the ways to die <laughs> even if i want to progress it's like Let's let's see what happens real quick first, even though I know the solution. Yeah. So like, what will it look like? Which body parts will go where? What's <laughs> it going to sound like? Yeah. You know? Lots of squishes exactly. in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sound, uh, I think the sound design is really superb. And in, in particular, it's very important at a few points in the game, um, just because you're using sound to identify what you need to do to, to progress. But uh Man, just like the squishing of the eggs, mm-hmm. mm, all those different sounds. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> gives me that good brain juice every time I die. I think of the spider's body going on the oh, spikes. Gosh. That is a good <laughs> sound there. Even get like a little bit of a runny sound after. Yeah. Yeah. Just sick Foley work on this yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. The music is is pretty nearly non-existent, so it not much to say about music, unfortunately. Yeah. There is music in there. 
again, it's mostly meant to be atmospheric. It's, it's and, like tones. It's like yes. yeah. drones kind of. There's definitely more music at the end. Yeah. Like the very last uh, section. Yep. Um, in general, for most of the game, the controls feel at worst consistent and at best just good to control. I'm never getting an air dash or a double jump or anything, but like I still get some opportunities to play with momentum and and fight against gravity. You know, I just I really love swinging on some rope when the stakes are low. It's just a fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Times where you speed up like skating down a oh a, yeah a hill, you'll just like roll down a hill, and, and you then can you, just sometimes like you have to jump, jump from at the that. end. Yeah. That's really fun to do too. Um, I like that retry points are super generous, which is important because you will most definitely die a lot in this game. Um, Speaking of retry points, the game allows a chapter select that breaks the game up into multiple dozens of smaller sections so that you can practice for the coveted no point in dying achievement. (laughs) And I think it's so kind that the game breaks it up into so many small parts because there are a lot of disparate sections of the game that are incredibly difficult Mm -hmm. um, and they can just kind of show up. That's a good compliment that they're not like shoving all this super frustrating stuff together in one section that they are spreading it out. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, toward the end there, it it, it (laughs) does get pretty, pretty difficult just throughout but that's fair um i think again still in likes i think the ending is really satisfying and well now that i'm thinking about it i'm being reminded of like all of the artful things that i love about hyperlight drifter another game that we've reviewed before the ending is just like perfectly satisfying it calls back to the beginning of the game and it only shows you what is necessary for you to get the point and it stays within the tone of the game. And the entire game, we mentioned this already, but it, it rolls out wordlessly. And, and you know, now I'm wondering, like, just how much maybe this game shaped me or if I, I like this just because I simply like this kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. maybe Limbo is the first step in my love for Hyperlight Drifter. Or maybe I just like this kind of thing. That's interesting to ponder. Yeah. And I, I think the only person who can answer that uh, best is you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> I won't cross-examine you extensively to try to figure that out, you know, unless you want me to. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see you try, see what we come up with. I will day. ask you, like, if you have interpretations, you know, in a, in a little bit, you know, if you have okay. readings about certain things. Okay. Because I have thoughts and I go back and forth on things. Okay. You know, so there are parts where I'm undecided or I have maybe two or three decisions and I go back and forth. Well, I, maybe I'm more interested in what you have to say about that because maybe mine is not quite as deep as you're thinking. Okay, we'll get to it. Um, so again, speaking of wordlessly rolling out the game, the rules of each puzzle element become defined by the trial and error. Again, you know, we mentioned this death and error kind of thing. Um, it can be frustrating at times, but it is supported by like sound design and the death animations. So even though there are like five or six points in the game where I die a lot, <laughs> and even when I know what to do, I still can't necessarily overcome it. At least I am treated to the great sound design and death animations. So that really just like softens the blow sure. of dying all the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's something like not frustrating about dying because it's jumping you back in immediately. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, morbidly satisfying to see those deaths yeah there's only one 
part of the game where I'm just like actually getting frustrated when I die, and that's when I'm wrapped up in some spider web. That I don't enjoy dying uh, <laughs> as much, but uh, everything else is pretty morbidly satisfying. Uh, I do have dislikes with Limbo, mostly just one sort of overall dislike, and that is difficulty at certain points in the game. I think certain puzzles are really asking for a lot. You know, others ask for timing type solutions that aren't really used in other similar puzzle types. So an example is that there is a ladder that is on a wheeled platform, and then that platform is on top of an an electric floor. Yeah, a lot of trial and error with that one. Yeah, and so it's it's basically a timing-based puzzle, but you're using the timing in a way that you don't really use timing anywhere else in the game Mm -hmm. in similar puzzles. And Which so, might sound like a praise, like, hey, there's this idea that's only here. That adds to the variety. But it is oddly specific yeah, about what you have to do. Yeah, and it's just not something that the game really sort of encouraged you to try anywhere else or that you even really can try anywhere else. It's just, yeah, I dread, the, I dread getting to this point in the game yeah, every time I turn it on. Yeah, you never quite remember how to do it. It's not telegraphed in that way. I definitely understand, like, that frustration because good like puzzle design is take a foundational block then we're going to take that and twist it a little bit now we're going to get a little more specific but it's still building on that that foundational idea and there are some areas where i definitely see that yeah i don't like the brainworm puzzles <laughs> yeah it's unique and disturbing and it's fun to look at i'm just not a fan of doing it while i'm actually doing it yes and uh, it is messed up that they give you the fake out ending where you see the your sister oh, yeah. <laughs> sitting there and you're like, oh my God, it's done. Brain worm right before you get to her. She goes away forever or not yeah. forever, but uh, in that section, she's just gone. Yeah. This is where your controls are. You basically just can't control. You're going in one direction and you have to find a way to reverse yourself. Yeah. You can only control your speed and your jump, but yep. uh, you are automatically walking and yeah. you cannot stop yourself. And you have to find little like creepy creatures to eat the worm in your brain so that you yep. can get control again. Yep. Here's a, a dislike that goes back to my likes. Um, I wanted the game to live in that like versus human segment just a little bit longer. We meet and kill a few other children, Lord of the Flies style. <laughs> Very um, true, yes. But I, I didn't really feel like that threat existed for long enough in the game. I would have, I think I would have felt a little bit more dread being up against man because i think man is very threatening and, mm-hmm. and horrible uh i would have loved to live there just a little bit longer yeah or just like imagine if there weren't humans until like three quarters of the way through or five sixths of the way through yeah. like you think that you're the only human for so long uh, but yeah once you start seeing that tribe of kids you see like people hanged in the background, like you see that they have killed other people. Yeah. That's messed up. Yeah. It's 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 messed up. I would have liked to live there just a little bit longer before we start getting into like, you know, big machines and, yeah. and more existential stuff. And then my last main dislike is that the no point in dying trophy <laughs> is too damn hard. <laughs> I have played this now on PS3 and PS4, and I have not acquired this trophy in either one. I gave it like one fair shake back in 2012, maybe, 
and you know jumped off it after a couple of days because I just didn't have time to do it. But it's it's hard. And uh, if I, if I may mention this, I remember in our thirty third episode where we picked season four games, you picked Limbo. And one of the reasons you picked it is you wanted the excuse to chase this trophy. Yeah, I'm going to do it, but I just... Okay, so you just didn't have as much time yet. for this these past like two or three weeks to yeah. chase it yet. Okay. Also, like my power supply cable for my PlayStation 3 is missing at the moment. So oh, I... Hard to get a trophy when that's happening. Yeah. So I'm just going to swap back and forth from my PS4, but uh, that sort of like halted my plans a little bit. So in conclusion... I would argue that Limbo is one of the two most important indie games of all time. I will say that forever. Uh, It's the first indie game that I ever played that I'm aware of. And while I was trying so hard to be annoyed by this game the first time I played it because I was being forced to play it, uh, I just couldn't be. If, if If my uncle is my source for my love of gaming... Our friend Grant is somehow the instigator into my love for indie games. Nice. And that starts with Limbo. Oh. Um, while replaying it again for the first time in probably 12 years, I didn't expect it to hold up, but it does. And unlike with most puzzle games, I didn't necessarily remember all of the puzzle solutions right away. And so parts of it still felt fresh picking it back up again. If you play indie games and you haven't played Limbo, play it. Like, full stop. Maybe you know about Inside, which seems to be the trend based on how many people I was talking to about Dark. Yeah. Because uh, I would mention Limbo and they hadn't heard of it. I think a lot of people, a lot more people these days have played Inside than Limbo, yeah. strangely. Yeah. And it's it's such a weird thing to me. So uh, you need to try Limbo. This game is important. So for some of you listeners, this is my, like... Boomer telling you to listen to Dark Side of the Moon moment. And maybe you won't like it, but uh, I do know that a good number of you will still find a lot of joy in Limbo. So seriously, please play Limbo, especially if you've played Inside. Um, The only points this game loses for me are in the difficulty department. I give Limbo a 9.5 out of 10. Wonderful. I love that you love this game. I'm curious, just because we did talk about the history and stuff, how much of your score is you just genuinely loving this game for what it is and how much is its importance and its history and its influence? Because when I score a game, I'm usually weighing really heavily on the, how does this game hit for me? Yeah. You know, I'm I'm very selfish in my score. Like Sexy Brutal is a 4.5 for me. Uh-huh. But tons of people who love time loop games are going to love it a lot more. I totally understand that. Where right. do you fall on that? So one of the other main reasons that I played it on PS4 this time around instead of chasing that trophy is that I hadn't earned any of the PS4 trophies yet. Oh. So I was just like, fresh save file. Do I still love completing this game again, essentially? Because I, I really wanted to make it as fresh of an experience as possible, mm-hmm. having, you know, enjoyed this game multiple times in the past. And uh, I try very hard to be objective about about games when I review them and, and okay. not weigh so heavily on, on nostalgia uh, that I might have for a game. And you know, I feel like I've done that, you know. Iconoclast was a 10 because I think that game is great, even though I had played it hundreds of times before our recording. Yeah. Same with Hyperlight Drifter. Like, I legitimately feel that game is a 10, you know, yeah. regardless of my nostalgia for it. 
And so, like, I did try to put myself in the mind space um, of of how I feel about Limbo. Maybe, you know, I still can't get rid of some of that legacy, some of that nostalgia. Maybe it's impossible. Basically, another way to ask this is, if Limbo came out in 2023, would you give it a 9.5? Would you be as taken with it? And maybe it, you'd really be up there. Yeah. But over the over time, I, I think this is hard to avoid. It's just like built up this this love in your in in your body. You know, it's part of your body. Right. So I mean, I tried really hard to remove all that. Uh, I hope that I did, but you know, maybe if it did come out in twenty twenty three, maybe it would be closer to an eight point five. I don't yeah. know. It's the kind of question we don't really get to delve into with tons of games because we review so many games that are newer than games released in 2010. I guess I would say one of the games I thought about playing for my secret game this episode, I'll just say it. I was thinking about playing Closure. And, uh, you know, I turned that one back on a couple, like a a year ago, I think, to get some trophies. And I really, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did in the past, you know? And and that's a game that I, I still find very influential on myself. But I just like didn't love it as much. So I don't know. Maybe Interesting. Okay. maybe this is more of a of an objective sort of 2023 score, but yeah, I can't say for sure. That could happen when there's separation between the last time you played. You said the last time was 2012. Something like that. Yeah. So do you know like how many overall times you've played through Limbo in your life? Um not as much as you might think. Uh I've probably beaten the game like four times. Because like back when I picked it up in 2012, I didn't like get through the game all the way because I was like practicing for this horrible trophy and and just yeah. stopping and starting and restarting. It's so. hard to quantify the repeats of just like specific sections to practice and get the muscle memory down on certain challenges um, because I've done that no point in dying achievement on Steam and PlayStation. And both occasions were years apart and I practiced... You know, I can think of like a handful of places that I practiced over and over. And so technically, like I've played some sections dozens of times, but I would say this like last two weeks when I played Limbo, it's probably my somewhere between my eighth to 10th time playing Limbo in my life Mm -hmm. when you add up playing with Grant originally. And then I played it on my own shortly after that. Then I did, um, I think, another playthrough where I focused on collectibles I focused on all the no point in dying on Steam, and then I played it on PlayStation several times. And now here's another time. And I only needed like two 45-minute sessions to finish this thing because it is just like I remembered every part of it. (laughs) And there were some puzzles where I was stuck for a little bit. I forgot like what the catch was with a few things, especially at the end, like you said. It gets hard. Um, But I am happy to report that I think Limbo holds up incredibly well all these years later, all these playthroughs later. There still isn't a game quite like this that I have played, other than maybe Play Dead's spiritual successor, Inside, yeah. which we've already mentioned. Um, and so, yeah, I do think it it feels unique. It feels singular. What I like about Limbo is the level of immersion. There's great parallax stuff going on when you're scrolling through these environments, especially in that forest. It's just stunning right away. Even though it's so simple, um, there's like fuzziness yeah. to the layers behind you. Implies like a lot of fog. It's yes. really cool. Yes. It yeah. has that feeling of just being in a in a mysterious world. 
the scale of the frame expands and contracts where it needs to. You get that right away when you jump on the boat and the camera pulls back and you just feel even smaller in this big world. It elicits a feeling of fear and dread very effectively. You know, we've kind of already touched on that a lot. The atmospheric sound is great. The game sounds gross. The game sounds haunting. (laughs) The sound that hits really hits, you know, like the heavy thud of the tribes person getting squished that the, when they, when they (laughs) get crushed by that thing, Oh, it has a visceral reaction. It elicits a visceral reaction in, in me, even like playing it again. I just feel like stomach drops or something. It does. Yes. There's no on-screen text too. So I'm just immersed in this game. So it's this minimalist experience that feels very focused I love the iconic imagery of Limbo, the spider, the tribe of slightly older kids hunting you, (laughs) um, the hotel sign, uh, the boy's glowing eyes in the dark. You know, the boy you play as, it's a dark, basically silhouette figure. There's like no detail. You just see the shape and you see the glowing eyes. And sometimes it's just your eyes in the darkness. And that is just part of the identity of this game. And I love when games have iconic imagery. That's what's going on in Limbo. The dangers in this world, they're all representative of fears. You know, the spider is arachnophobia. Uh, The water puzzles represent drowning. The tribe might represent being an outcast or being bullied, you know, especially because they do seem older. I wonder if that is subtly hinting at what happened in this boy's life, if he's in the afterlife, if that's the interpretation you want to go with. You can read into these things. You get into the industrial parts of the game. And that might represent fear of the dark because this game gets darker in some of those areas with, you know, the cogs and the gears where things start rotating. There are areas where there's just one light hanging from the ceiling. And so you have to use that moving beam of light to understand what's in the environment. Um, And then the gravity puzzles close to the end. Um, You're walking on ceilings. And you're switching between forms of gravity, and that might represent fear of falling. Oh, okay. So I think, and obviously, there's sharp objects. People are afraid of getting hurt. You know, there's all that stuff too. Um, And then the puzzles. I think they're the right amount of challenge most of the time. They have a lot of variety throughout. Sometimes they're about reacting quickly and running away temporarily. And then running back the direction you were going. Sometimes you need to do some prep work to dispatch someone who's pursuing you. Um, Sometimes you have to think about how to combine objects together. And so it's using different parts of your puzzle brain very effectively. There is a lot of dying to progress. And I'm normally annoyed at surprise deaths. I think back to Mighty Number 9, where those purple spikes are killing me all over that game. And it makes me mad because it doesn't feel like that that's intentional. It doesn't feel like that's the philosophy of that game. But Limbo is all about the trial by death moments. Limbo is intentionally built around that idea. And when that's the philosophy of Play Dead making Limbo, I buy into it Mm, completely. That makes sense. Then what I dislike, I really just have one dislike. And I... I think we need a little more payoff for this boy's pain, Disco Cola. (laughs) A little more, just a little more. This boy goes through hell and back. We suffer gruesome despair and death. Arachnophobes are scathed by this game. Just a little could go a long way. 
Like, let the boy hug his sister. <laughs> let her turn around. Look at me. Um, but I also realized that story-wise, this is probably intentional. There are many interpretations on what this game means, especially at the end. But there is, for me, a certain lack of payoff that feels mean-spirited. You said you thought this game ends perfectly. It's just the right amount. For me, the game is so gruesome that I want a little more. Mm -hmm. And so that's why like, I might not always be in the mood to play this game. I might not always be in the mood for all the gruesome deaths and the darkness. And it is that, that certain emotion that most of the time I am in the mood to play this game, but not always uh, compared to other games. But overall, my nostalgia bias might be a little high for this one because like you, it was a central informative experience in my life of loving indie games. Um, I do think it legitimately does restraint and focus and eeriness in a way I've never seen replicated since it released. The game has a cold and kind of reticent outcome, and it's a vibe I need to sometimes be in a specific mood for. But Limbo is part of my body uh, forever. <laughs> it for, is inside you. It is. It, yes, <laughs> ah! It's inside me forever for showing me what games could be and do. So influence does play a small role in my score. Nostalgia does play a small role, but I genuinely think this game is awesome. I love it. I'm going to give it a nine. A nine. Okay. Rock on. So did you have any takes on the meaning of the boy's journey in Limbo? Well, to be honest, I didn't really get that deep with it the game is called limbo so i'm just like this is limbo limbo's rules you know can be whatever the writer wants the rules of limbo to be sure like it's a a supernatural plane of existence so i didn't i didn't like look for anything too okay. deep to be honest yeah so you said the the writer's intentions but they intentionally make this game vague so like I think they're inviting people to read into it a little bit at the end, especially because at the end, you're in that industrial place. Gravity is changing and you go through that window, you crash through that window. And yeah. there are people who think that that represents maybe something that happened in the boy's life. Okay. And since this is limbo, you know, a, a, some people use the word limbo to refer to that liminal space between life and death right. and the afterlife. And so has this boy died? And I wonder if that's the case. But then I think, well, wait a second, the official synopsis for this game is uncertain of his sister's fate, a boy enters limbo. Mm-hmm. Does that mean the boy is choosing to go into limbo or has he died and and has she died? You know, that's where I'm going with it. Like, right. Do you have any other thoughts on that? Uh I found a sense of intention in the boy. Um, I think just by like at the very beginning of the game, just laying down on the ground and waking up, like you intentionally found limbo and stumbled into limbo. So I think there is will here. There's willpower here to locate someone. And in my, in my brain, limbo is kind of like heaven and hell. You know, you don't, Maybe you don't necessarily have to die to go there. I don't know. But in in my mind, in this particular game, it is a supernatural plane that you can 
usually fall into. You know, no mm. one chooses to go to limbo, but this boy has. Interesting. Okay. Um, there's this idea of the sister not looking at him. You know, at the end, he encounters her. And by the way, this we usually avoid spoilers, but this game is so old and the story is so vague that I don't see this as offensive to be talking about these details. Okay. If we have offended someone, I apologize. But uh, once you started hearing us talk about this stuff, I hope at least you thought about you know skipping ahead or or just pausing momentarily. So no proper warning about that. Uh, but <laughs> here, I don't think it's as offensive as other like story focused games. But um, when I first noticed that the girl like never looks at him, my first interpretation was maybe she died and this boy is alive and he chooses to go into limbo to search for her because he wants to reconnect with his sister he lost. Right. And maybe she can never look at him because she's not alive and he like longs for her. You know, he longs for her to be able to look at him again. And like he can look at her because he can remember her, mm-hmm. but she can't ever look at him again. That's kind of how I first interpreted it. Interesting. Um, but then I started reading online. I saw some other expanded interpretations. Um, at the end of the game, she's sitting under a treehouse uh, with like a broken ladder. And you can tell it's a treehouse because there are like there's a tree with like planks nailed to it. And the ladder has snapped. And so some people wonder maybe she fell from a treehouse and that's how she she passed away. And the boy remembers that very vividly because mm-hmm. that's the final scene at the end of this sequence. Other people think that that's true, but they also think that the boy is dead because at the end he crashes through that like window and they think that that represents him being in a car crash. I'm not sure if I completely buy that, but I totally, I, I understand where they're coming from. Right. So, I think your explanation makes sense where he is consciously like choosing to go into limbo. Uh-huh. And then there's the question of what do all the things that he sees represent? Are those fears from his life? You know, that's kind of where I'm coming from when I mentioned the arachnophobia stuff and the right. fear of drowning. Um, so I don't know. Any other takes on that stuff? Uh, I mean, if we're just just on that point, like I I don't think that this like plane of limbo is formed to his personal experience. Interesting. I think okay. limbo is just limbo. Like, limbo is limbo. That's, it's just, that's just what this world is. hellish and scary for everybody in the same way. Yeah. Okay. That's what I, that's what I think. That's what I take away from it. But I don't know. I guess I'm just not looking for anything like deeper. Like, again, I'm going to throw it back to Hyperlight Drifter. Like I can, I can make an inference about what the final boss represents and, you know, what it means when you kill that final boss or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then I also, like, don't feel like my experience changed after I make an inference. So sometimes it, it, for me, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter what these mean. Yeah. I can, I can just observe a, a solemn ending to a game that, was full of a lot of dread, full of a lot of difficulty, because even just that solemn ending feels in line with the tone of the game. So I don't, I guess, yeah, I'm just not always looking for something deeper. Yeah. Um, We talked about this in the Abzu episode, but I'm just not always in love with ambiguity and like reading into things. And I'm always just like, well, I don't want to do homework. I just want to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And I think I maybe care a little bit more about it in Limbo because- 
what it's showing you is more straightforward. It is just that mysterious ending, and it is the very simple premise of a boy enters limbo looking for a sister. And I can go off of that, but it's when you start adding like hidden messages and like iconography in the world. And did you happen to look at this? And did you read this item description in this very specific part? That's where you turn me off. Right. You know, so I appreciate that about Limbo is that it's this good balance of like, it is a mood piece. You can enjoy it for the mood that it puts you in. I think that's that's most of where my enjoyment comes from. But then it's a little fun for me to like step outside my normal like comfort zone and uh, think about that stuff. There's the game director, Arndt Jensen who in interviews has said that um, he set out to accomplish three main goals with Limbo. It is one, to have a certain mood and minimalist style, to have simple controls, the moving, jumping, grabbing, and to use no tutorial texts at all. I assume we both think that they were like (laughs) successful in these things. Absolutely. No qualms about this mission they set out on and like, basically we we give them an A. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I hate, like I said, I hate, Jumping in a spiderweb cocoon, but otherwise, <laughs> top marks. Wonderful. Well, then, um, there's all these moments. There's the 40 subchapters in this game. What set pieces stand out to you? And when you think about Limbo, um, all these years later, especially after replaying it, what moments do you immediately think of? Well, I said spider about six times uh, in the review. So the spider, for sure. Yep. Um, when you started talking about parallax, I wanted to bring up that moment in the game where you trick this creature into a, a hamster wheel of sorts and you turn on the rain. Yeah. That is a very, wild. very cool set piece, which is very unassuming until the rain actually comes on. I know. It's like you then you start imagining how could that be? But again, you're in this like impossible place. Right. But so many other things in this place are sort of grounded. There's people rolling boulders down hills that seem to have convincing physics. So like, how could a machine generate thunder and rain and lightning, all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, that's a very interesting set piece. I love that. There's a, there's a section with uh, guns and an elevator that I remember and I don't totally know if it's because of that section alone or if it's because a section that they added to the game later where you sort of like kind of kind of pop out there yeah. in an unexpected way. Like you're talking you, about the like bonus level? Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. And you just sort of like pop out in this part of the, the world that I was just like, oh, I would not have expected to <laughs> show up here. Um, and it's just like this unassuming place that is connected to somewhere else in a very interesting way. I think the the glass that you shatter is a set piece in its own. And I, you know, I remember that every time I turn on the game. That section is so elongated. That finale, like before you wake up and it's your sister there at the end, the game is not afraid to make that almost like painfully, painfully slow. Painfully long, yeah. yeah. Painfully long. Like yeah. it is, I watched um, someone playing this game because I just wanted to refresh myself on some things even after I replayed it. And getting to that end... I'm doing like the skip forward 10 seconds. Oh, it's still going on. Skip forward 10 seconds. Oh, it's still going on. It's time to, <laughs> <laughs> it lasts a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the hotel sign uh, stands out in my mind just because um, it's the closest thing to a word we see in the whole game and yeah. introduces this puzzle element that uh, is probably my least favorite, just the electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
can be really frustrating. A lot of tight timing there. Yeah. But otherwise, all of the other set pieces that stand out in my mind are because of the really high level of difficulty of that mm-hmm. particular section. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. I back you up on the spider sequence. Um, it happens early, and I think they knew that those moments were just gold. And so- there's another are, there's another bug too, I guess, now that we're talking about it. That stands out. Man, bugs have a bad time in limbo. I know. And you pull off legs of both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one unintentionally. You're just kind of hanging on to this. The second bug, I get the sense that you're trying to escape because there's that there's a shaft of light coming down at that part. And um I interpreted that as the boy hopes that maybe he can like go up to where that light is. Oh. Hmm. And then the you rip the bug's leg off because of your weights and then yeah. you fall down which is unfortunate um but yeah the spider you use the bear traps on its legs then you get webbed and you're running away from the spider and then you encounter that tribe and you see a little moment of that spider messing up that tribe they're like it's stabbing one of the guys and throwing him against the ground and i love this idea of you get to this platform that needs to be pushed up so that you can jump to this ledge it's like a seesaw uh-huh. and you have to wait for the spider to yeah, seesaw you dude. up. And so it is this great moment of like dread of like needing to escape, but you also need to make sure the spider catches up to you. There's great drama in that moment. And then you uh, unleash the boulder. It crushes the spider. You see it crawl out of the rubble and it's just got one leg left. Oh, that God. can kill you. That can like very <laughs> violently kill you. And then you pull it off. And you roll the body onto the spikes, and then you can jump onto the next platform. That is the whole spider sequence, and it takes up multiple chapters of the game. Um, love that. And then you also see that tribe, they're using like a like a fake spider fake leg. Fake spider, yeah. Love that, that that's called back to. Yeah. Um, it's like they've been in your position. Yep. They've had to be on the left side of the spider leg. They, they're like, <laughs> and they're trying to recreate it. And it's it's awful. It's not going to kill anyone. Well, I guess it could kill you, but it's not as dangerous. Uh, you mentioned the secret level. We've talked about the five or less deaths playthrough. Can you talk a little bit about the eggs and how the secret level works? Have you done the secret level? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Can you talk about that? Um, so the secret level is just this thing that they added. I believe when they ported it to PlayStation, they added a special bonus level. And um, you find it in a certain section of the game pretty early on, but you can't access it until you've stomped on all of these gross little eggs first. <laughs> uh, and once you've gone through the game and stomped on the little eggs, you can go back to this section and a door will open up and you go into this underground gauntlet of challenge with really difficult puzzles. And at a certain point, like you are relying on stereo sound cues to navigate your way through the world because it is pitch black. You cannot see anything. And like back when this came out, I definitely did not have the capability to play this game with like headphones on at all or anything. But uh, now that I do have that, I am so grateful and I was able to get through it a lot faster because that's good. It masterfully uses the stereo and panning. Yes. Um, in, in You actually have an advantage if you're you're isolating the left and right tracks. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very useful to have stereo headphones and, and listen. Um, but yeah, it gets very difficult. 
uh, sort of a nice little bonus challenge. Um, and again, we, we should rewind a little bit, talk about the eggs. Yeah. These eggs are just like special platforms that you can f- stumble upon or if you pull on the right lever at the right time, a little egg will pop out and you squish it. It goes, <laughs> and those are your trophies. All, yeah. all like 10 of your base trophies are those. And then you, uh, you have the bonus level trophy and then no point in dying. And that's the limbo trophy list. Yeah. It could maybe have more just traditional progression trophies. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, at first when I played the game on my own with no guide to find the eggs, I think I only found two eggs. I think I, yeah, yeah. Two. So they're yeah. hidden really well. And I appreciate that. And then for the five or less deaths playthrough, I've done this twice. The first time I did it on Steam, I had, you know, I had to rehearse a lot. I had a lot of runs where I got to five deaths and I had to restart. So like, it's not like it came easy. I had to do a ton of that rehearsal. Yeah. And uh, the first time I made it through with five or less deaths, I was on four deaths at the end. So I was itching. Scary. And then when I did it years later on PlayStation 4, I got to three deaths. Mm -hmm. So I didn't go through unscathed. And I found that the chapters that I had to like rehearse over and over and over again were the hotel sign because the timing of that electricity is very tight. And you basically like want to get to the hotel sign without dying. That's pretty manageable. If you get to the hotel sign with zero or like one death, you're pretty good. Um, that's, That's a good indication that you should keep going with that run. But then I had to rehearse other things that came later. And this is going back to what you said about challenges being kind of disparate in the game. I had to go to that section where there's the giant saw blade coming at you and there's the two boxes. The two bo- that's exactly what I was just thinking. That of. is tricky. That I practiced that probably 50 times until I understood the timing. Yeah. Even, yeah, this this playthrough, that took me probably the second longest. And the other thing that took me the longest was like, where you have to push and pull these platforms to get a ball that rolls. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's no stakes in there. You're not going to no. die. No, but you have to you have to make sure that they're lined up in a way that yeah. you don't drop that ball into that pit. Yeah, I know and that about. took yeah. me the longest yeah. other than maybe the the two boxes and the saw blade. Yeah, that one I, I had a tough time with because I forgot about the intricacies of that one this time. Yeah, it's like a tire, I think. It's yeah. Really, and then um, the final jump is something I rehearsed a lot because at that point in the game, the gravity is changing on its yeah, own. There's a lot of margin there's, for error. There's a timing for it. You just have to get a feeling for it through trial and error. So um, any other thoughts on like five or less deaths playthrough? Like what what are your thoughts going into the many attempts it will take to- I mean, I dread it. You know, that's yeah. the, some of the fun of the game is dying. Like we both really liked that- uh, trial and death, you yeah. know, part of the game. So it's it's asking us to play a game in a way that wasn't necessarily intended, <laughs> but it's asking us to get good at it. So I guess I'll get good at it. I think maybe what you should do is stream those attempts. Oh God! And do the thing that some people, some streamers do, where there's like a heart rate monitor on screen, so people can see like how itchy you're getting. I would watch that. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> I'll fudge the numbers and just falsify my rage. How's that? Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> well, good luck to you in all of that. Thank you. Well, that is our review of Limbo. 
You can play it on and get ready for this list. <laughs> PC, Mac, Linux, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, Xbox 360, Xbox One, iOS, and Android. That was on Vita? All right. Disco-Cola rated it a 9.5. I rated it a 9. That's the end of this episode of Underplayed. You can find more of our episodes at kzum.org slash underplayed and on common podcast services like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our music was composed by Jack Rodenberg. Our art comes from Oni Mochi. Underplayed is in many social media places like uh, Twitter, Instagram, and threads at Underplayed Pod. You can find me in those places at BOPO. That's B-O underscore P-O. You can also check me out on the GG app at BOPO, where you can see my game lists, like my list of indie golf games that are more than just golf. (laughs) There's this weird (laughs) phenomenon with golf games that just get existential and bizarre and uh, just unprecedented when it comes to the sport of golf. All right. And I am at Disco Cola on pretty much all of those platforms using the ones that I can use in a browser. And uh, you can follow uh, Underplayed on Twitch at Underplayed Podcast. We just finished the Perry Challenge in Cuphead as we record this. And uh, we'll be probably moving on to some other couch co-op type games uh, in the near future. Next time, we will have two more secret games to review, and our featured game will be Toem, a photography adventure game developed by Something We Made. Until then, everyone, keep on playing.